Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include how lenders create wealth, my interview with Kiranos John Sayer on recent industry trends in arms, jumbo loans, and HELOC slash cash out refinances, and another closer look on inflation. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Simple Nexus. Simple Nexus invites you to elevate your purchase market lending strategy by attending the Simple Nexus User Group Conference, aka SNUG, February 28th through March 3rd at the Snowbird Ski Resort outside Salt Lake City, Utah. From captivating keynotes to trailblazing strategy, SNUG 2022 is your base camp for mastering digital mortgage success. Learn more by visiting simplenexus.com. Sometimes, someone unexpected comes into your life out of nowhere makes your heart race, and changes you forever. We call those people cops. Where do you think that one was going? There are always riddles and surprises out there. But one is not originators helping borrowers create wealth through leverage and tax savings. Lenders are, in one sense, in the business of creating wealth. Whether it is helping someone buy a home that will appreciate over the long term, or helping them save money through equity or on taxes. Rates have moved higher, as we knew they would but there's still $10 trillion out there untapped, much of it in tappable equity in the U.S. housing market. Some estimates suggest $5 trillion since the pandemic began. Not all this can be converted to cash or used to pay off debt, of course. Credit card debt is back above $1 trillion as stimulus checks have dried up. Delinquencies are down, active foreclosures are down, and you know what? It's still a great time to be in our business. For today's interview, I wanted to welcome back on the show, John Sayer, Vice President of Client Success at Kiranos. Mr. Sayer manages client success and business development for Kiranos, which was formerly known as Informa Financial Intelligence and Icon Advisory. They are the leading provider of real-time comparative loan pricing and origination information for the mortgage industry and targeted consumer lending verticals. Their clients are able to assess their competitive position, identify market opportunities, and positively impact share margin, risk, and operational execution. Hey, John. Robbie, how are you? Fantastic. Happy to have you back on the show. How are you doing? Fantastic. Uh, Doing great as well. Thanks so much. So, John, Kiranos is a new company name. I think it had just changed last time you were on the podcast. Remind us about your company roots and how you gather market data. Uh, sure. Uh, great to be here again, Robbie. Appreciate the opportunity. Um, many in the mortgage market been around a while, like I have uh, previously knew us as Icon. We were then uh, acquired by a company called Informa and then recently combined with another company called Novantis. So all that's occurred recently and we've rebranded ourselves as Curinos. And the deal is uh, what we do, we help uh, lenders understand their lending performance and also help them understand their competitive pricing position, which of course is a huge topic this year. Uh, Just a little background on how we go about doing that. Uh, Every week we collect loan origination data directly from lenders. We get application rate lock and funded loan information from lenders running the broad spectrum. We have the largest lenders in the country. We have small and medium-sized lenders as well. At the end of the day, we track about half of all first and second lien loan originations. 
Uh, interestingly, for 2021, we tracked 7 million real estate loan transactions for about $2.5 trillion. Uh, on the rate survey side, we also work with hundreds of lenders across the country uh, to collect their competitive rates. Uh, we do those surveys for all mortgage channels and also for home equity and other consumer lending products like unsecured lending. So rate surveys and origination benchmarking data. Kiranos used to be known as Icon and Informa. When we spoke in September, the hot topic was the GSE LLPA changes, and you shared current market trends on non-owner and second home lending. You also addressed increased jumbo loan liquidity and competitiveness and refinance trends. Given your access to the considerable market data at your fingertips, what new trends are you seeing and what forward-looking topics are top of mind for you? Really, there's a couple topics that are, have the wheels turning for me that I'd be pleased to address today. Uh, first, uh, the early trends on a possible reemergence of adjustable rate lending, arm lending. Uh, second, uh, I think it's a perfect time really to look at the trade-offs that borrowers have between home equity lending, he locks and he loans, and traditional first mortgage cash out refinances. And even look at their at their options to do unsecured lending as a trade-off. So really some important market developments in that space as well. Yeah, let's talk about those topics. We're in a rising rate environment. So obviously higher fixed rate mortgages are going to make ARMS more attractive by comparison. Tell us what you're seeing with ARM products. You know, isn't the treasury curve still pretty flat in favoring long-term fixed rate loans? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're really, at the, Robbie, at the risk of dating myself, I can share with you that near the beginning of my career, I worked at a company called Home Savings of America, which at the time was the largest lender in the country back in the SNL days. And I, interestingly, I think 90% of our mortgage volume back then was in adjustable rate mortgages. Uh, since then, we've seen many markets and many yield curve environments along the way. The one thing the one thing that I think is a constant, though, is that mortgage lending products are simply a set of trade-offs for borrowers to consider. Uh, with recent increases in fixed rates, uh, we all know that arms will inevitably, they're going to get a closer look by home, buyer, home buyers and borrowers who have been accustomed to mortgage rates in the 2 to low 3% handle rates. Uh, recently, uh, I took a look at our profile of purchase transactions just in the first part of this year, the first part of 2022, and compared it to the same period in 2021. And just looking at conforming arms for purchase transactions, which again is not a refinance situation, looking at purchase loans, looking at those conforming purchase arm locks, they were up 91% relative to the same period in 2021, uh, whereas fixed rate locks for conforming loans are pretty flat, about 2% down year over year. So 91% growth, not a lot of volume yet in conforming arms, uh, but a 91% growth relative to the same period last year. And then with jumbo arms, locks are up 38% this year versus last year for purchase loans, whereas jumbo fix is exactly flat to last year. So how much of the market right now is in arms and what are the rate spreads from arms to fixed? Again, not a ton of volume being done in conforming arms at this time, but if you look at jumbo loans as an indicator, 
it's the case that 44%, fully 44% of jumbo loans being locked in right now are arms, a very significant part of the jumbo market. And your question on average rates and how they compare, uh, if you look at conforming arms, they're about three quarters of a percent, 75 basis points or so, lower than, um, than conforming fixed. And for jumbo arms, they're about 50 basis points or a half a percent lower than jumbo fixed. So basically, at the end of the day, right now, what we're seeing with arms, they're about half a percent to three quarters percent lower than fixed. Uh, but of course, not a widespread, but you know, a decent spread. Uh, so if, uh, obviously, as fixed rates, if they trend towards 4% here, that borrower psychology uh, may obviously be to settle for an arm loan where they can still get a start rate that begins with 3%, get that 3% handle. And on those arm loans, what arm terms are you seeing as the most popular? You know, that's a great question. Um, things certainly have changed from the home savings days. Uh, where arms were adjusting every uh, year or every six months or maybe even every month. Uh, but I can tell you now, 90% uh, of recent arm production has an initial fixed rate period of 10 to seven years. Uh, some businesses getting done at the five-year term and even a little bit being done with a three-year initial term. Um, you know, for me, it's kind of amusing to think of these loans as arms. Uh, back in the day, we used to call them hybrid arms. Uh, that all being said, we know that borrowers rarely keep mortgages in place for over 10 years. So arms, uh, even with this relatively flat, flat yield curve, do uh, offer uh, borrowers that, you know, a modest uh, short and midterm payment savings right now. Forgetting the three years for a second, what kind of rate differences do you see between the 10, 7, and 5-year terms? Sure. Uh, taking a look at the, all the loans that were locked and funded last year, uh, we saw an average of about an eighth benefit to go from 10 to seven years and about another eighth benefit to go from seven to a five-year initial term. So as a as kind of a side note here, if, if you were advising me, a soon-to-be 30-year-old uh, <laughs> potential home buyer, what sort of what, what product would you be interested in? Is it all dependent upon my uh, investment horizon for how long I'm going to live in the home? What do you, what what do you think? You know, it's uh, you know, good, great question. Um, you know, for me, it's always. In fact, I had this conversation with a um, a former coworker just recently, and and uh, he's looking to buy a house, and the exact same. What's your time horizon? Are you looking? Are you certain you're going to be in the house for under five years? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, that's a pretty obvious answer. If it's unknown, then of course you just have to weigh those risk trade-offs. Uh, but for me, uh, you know, I'm notoriously lousy at predicting interest rates. Uh, I really don't have a view beyond tomorrow. Uh, but what I do think um, is that it's in our power in the mortgage business to really understand those borrower economics that we're talking about across loan products, to understand borrower behavior, to anticipate and plan for different market scenarios. And if I have a message um, you know, all around here is for lenders to really proactively plan for in our market, uh, which includes, you know, could include a meaningful percentage of loans being done in arms uh, rather than uh, reactive market conditions after it's already trended that way. Uh, you know, for us, 
with our clients. Uh, we're looking at loan products, rate trends, volume trends, you know, that real-time view uh, with the benchmark data to really gain transparency into the market and hopefully um, help lenders manage uh, their business proactively. Let's transition from ARMS to key loans, HELOCs versus cash out refinances versus unsecured consumer loans. We don't often think of those lending products together. How do you see mortgage and consumer lending relating to each other? You know, first of all, I'll, I'll give you two, uh, Robbie, two market observations uh, around this. Uh, first, uh, the home equity market, uh, key loans and key lo- home equity lines of credit really steam poised for a big reemergence. Uh, everything's lining up for that. Uh, growth in the homo- homeowner uh, equity, homeowner equity is almost unprecedented over the last decade with home price increases. Additionally, most home buyers are really sitting comfortably with their uh, very low first uh, mortgage rates. So if homeowners are thinking about gaining access uh, to, to the equity in their homes, you know, a home equity loan really becomes increasingly attractive relative to uh, the alternative of refinancing. And that's obviously because borrowers currently have high 2%, mid 2%, low 3% first mortgages. And to do a cash out into a high 3% mortgage, you know, maybe not be, may not be as attractive. Secondly, um, my second market observation really here is that fintech lenders have seen explosive growth in unsecured lending. And we have observed a number of those fintech lenders recently even obtaining bank charters, which is an interesting development. The nexus I see here is that homeowners who want to borrow money in the future will be making trade-off choices between cash-out refis, home equity loans, and even possibly unsecured loans. When you talk about trade-offs, are you primarily talking about interest rates or are there other factors? That's a great uh, question. Rates is the obvious one, right? So, well, you know, comparative rates are certainly going to be a significant consideration. But I would uh, tee up the thought that speed to cash or how quickly a borrower can get their funds could play a really big role as well in the borrower's decisioning and their behavior. I look at our data on application to funding. Again, we're collecting origination data every week for app lock and funded loan events. And for first mortgage refinances, it's averaging about 64 days, averaging about 64 days as we sit here right now for a borrower to do a cash out refinance. For home equity lending, is taking borrowers about 66 days on average to close a home equity line of credit. And compare that to what we know about consumer loans, which can be closed in just a week or less. The point is, the point we have here is that both cash out refinance and home equity lending have significant competition now from unsecured lending from an ease of business, of doing business perspective. To me, those lenders who are able to crack the code and figure out how to get home equity loans done quickly stand to benefit the most in this market scenario. Give us some perspective on where home equity rates are right now versus first mortgage rates. Has that difference narrowed at all this year? 
that's a really important gauge. Uh, looking at home equity rates and what is the alternative rates for cash out refinances. Give you a little perspective on that. Home equity loans right now are running generally in about the four to five percent range. Uh, that's been almost flat uh, for the last 12 months. So very, very little uh, volatility in rates. Basically, four percent, and it's you know four and a half percent, five percent, depending on the borrower profile. Uh, but those rates have been extremely consistent all year in 2021. Uh, first mortgage rates have trended, obviously, as we all know, from about 3% to about three and three quarters percent in the last month, uh, month and a half. So that gap has considerably uh, narrowed. Um, I can share with you uh, just from early returns in 2022 that home equity loan uh, line of credit uh, applications have doubled in just the last few weeks. If you think about unsecured rates, there's a really, really wide range, anywhere from 5% up to and even beyond 20%. So just a, a huge rate range, 5 to 20% or so for unsecured loans. When it comes to the profile of borrowers, are we talking apples and oranges uh, on mortgage or home equity loans relative to consumer loan borrowers? Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, there are considerable differences in the credit profile of mortgage versus home equity versus unsecured borrowers. Uh, but I would argue that there's a very significant overlap in each of those product types and that borrowers, a big segment of the borrowers do have really that that trade-off uh, for homeowners that are looking, whether it's unsecured, uh, home equity cash out or, or, or first mortgage cash out, have that option, um, and many of them great credit loss equity, and um, a lot of them are super prime, and there is a lot of overlap. I do see increasing uh, competition uh, between these lending products, especially as fintechs turn to bank charters, uh, a number of those in the news lately. Including my old uh, employer, SoFi. So I want, <laughs> I, I want to loop back and touch on something we spoke about last time you're on the podcast and that's increasing liquidity in the jumbo loan market both with expanded credit parameters and numbers of lenders in the wholesale and correspondent channels that started reoffering jumbo loans what are you seeing in the jumbo fixed loan market as it compares to conforming and conforming high balance loans great topic one of my favorites and i've been getting just tons of questions from our clients recently around jumbo loans so certainly something to keep on the radar and get transparency into uh, lots of business cases there uh, the short answer um, really going a little bit historically is that at the outset of the pandemic remember back in march of 2020 when the markets were under stressed um, we observed jumbo rates about 20 basis points almost a quarter higher than conforming even when you controlled for variables such as loan to value and credit score and that sort of thing. So about 20 basis, called a quarter higher um, in rate right after the pandemic uh, started and jumbo liquidity was a big issue. As we stand here today, um, gosh, year and a half or more later, jumbo fixed is now 42 basis points lower in average than comparable conforming loans. Again, controlling for uh, variables that's a swing of 62 basis points, or as you know, about five-eighths in rate. A uh, very considerable uh, change in the market with jumbos now, again, being priced through 
conforming loans by about 42 basis points. In terms of agency high bow, uh, when we look at that versus agency non-high bow, they're running about five to 10 basis points and rate lower than conforming non-high balance loans. I think that is incredibly valuable data for our listeners. And I honestly think this whole interview is incredibly valuable data for our listeners compared to the interviews I normally engage in, but that's probably my fault. So any final comments or, or thoughts before I let you go today? You know, Robbie, it's been great spending time with you as always. I really do uh, enjoy diving into topics like this. Um, maybe I'm a mortgage geek, but, uh, you know, we all know that rates are going to rise and fall over time. And we certainly have seen an ever-changing yield curve over the years. And sometimes, as we are experiencing right now, those changes can be uh, challenging, to say the least. Uh, but I do think you know, that we're all at our best in the mortgage industry when we anticipate and plan for those market shifts, really being able to respond, best respond to homeowner and borrower needs. That's the value we bring to the market is when markets change. And of course, um, anybody that wants to uh, continue a conversation feel with me, feel free to just drop me a, look, a note in LinkedIn. Uh, I appreciate your um, session here today, Robbie. Yeah. And I will throw your LinkedIn link in the podcast description. Uh, thank you very much for, for taking the time. And I look forward to having you back on the podcast in a few months to talk about trends going on at that point. Awesome. Thanks so much. Anyone wanting some bond market volatility for whatever odd reason got it on Friday. Treasuries reverse course from the sell-off over the prior part of the week to rally as many investors sought safety fleeing stocks in favor of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. The move came after PBS reported that U.S. officials believe that a Russian invasion of Ukraine is imminent, though that report was contradicted by the U.S. National Security Advisor. What can be agreed upon is that we are seeing the flattening of the yield curve, as the market is predicting aggressive rate hikes will stifle future economic growth. The two-year Treasury note yield rose 20 basis points last week, while the 30-year Treasury bond yield rose only 3 basis points for the week. When it comes to the Fed, the question isn't when, but how much it will hike the overnight Fed funds and discount rates. As Bloomberg says, quote, contrary to what many people seem to believe, the Fed doesn't have a magic wand to bring down inflation quickly and painlessly. It can unclog the ports, procure more semiconductors, or persuade millions of Americans who have dropped out of the labor force during the pandemic to return to work. Its tools, consisting of interest rate changes plus purchases and sales of financial assets, can directly affect credit conditions in the economy. But these changes affect prices and wages only indirectly, and do so gradually over a considerable time period. What the Fed does have the capacity to do very quickly, if things get wrong, is crash the housing market, the stock market, and the economy. Fed Chair Powell and his colleagues remain in an unenviable position, and the tasks they are facing just got harder. End quote. Wall Street now firmly expects a half-point hike in the federal funds rate at the next Fed meeting in March which would be the biggest single increase since 2000. There has even been speculation that Fed Chair Powell and his colleagues might enact an emergency rate bump before then. Markets have priced in the Fed raising rates a whopping seven times this year to contain inflation, up from the five increases it previously anticipated before the January CPI report. That's a 25 basis point rate hike at every meeting left on the calendar this year. Traders also expect 175 basis points of tightening by the end of 2022, largely to stem inflation. 
Speaking of which, the headline story last week was the January CPI report that showed the highest year-over-year inflation since 1982, at 7.5%. Back then, 30-year mortgage rates were north of 17%. Rising costs of food, electricity, and shelter caused the lion's share of last month's spike. Previously, higher prices had been largely confined to physical goods, such as cars and furniture, but have now spread to the much larger services sector, which makes up about three-quarters of the economy. There is still more inflation data, February CPI, and hourly earnings in the February jobs report, that may influence Fed voters. All this talk of inflation is certainly impacting consumer sentiment. Consumer sentiment reached its worst level in a decade in February, according to the University of Michigan's Consumer Sentiment Survey. Sentiment fell 8.2% from January and 19.7% from a year ago. Consumers now see purchasing power soon exacting a cost from the nation's strong economic rebound. A downturn in consumer spending would not be good for an economy that derives close to 70% of GDP from consumer spending. In addition, fewer households cited rising net household wealth since the pandemic low in May 2020, largely due to the falling likelihood of stock price increases in 2022. On Friday afternoon, the New York Fed released a new MBS purchase schedule covering the February 14th to February 28th period, as well as announced the MBS purchase estimate for the February 14th to March 11th period, totaling $52.8 billion as expected, consisting of the remaining $10 billion in monthly SOMA increases in addition to $42.8 billion in paydowns. The new schedule averages $2.8 billion per day, with the 30-year 3.5% and 15-year 2.5% added to some days. Today's schedule sees the desk and conventionals for up to $2.6 billion across 15-year 1.5% and 2%, and 30-year 2.5% and 3%. The likely highlight of this week's calendar could very well be Wednesday's release of the minutes from the January 25th, 26th FOMC meeting. Besides the Fed minutes, we also receive updates on retail sales, wholesale inflation, import prices, industrial production capacity utilization, business inventories, and the NAHB housing market index. With only Treasury bill auctions and no economic release of note on the calendar today, we begin the week with agency MBS prices, little change from Friday, and the 10-year yielding 1.95 after closing last week at 1.96%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Where do bad rainbows go? Prism, but it's a light sentence. Thanks again to this week's sponsor, Simple Nexus, an NCNO company, an award-winning developer, a mobile-first technology for the modern mortgage lender. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.